0: Good afternoon and welcome to She Walks broadcast on WEHC 90.7 and you're tuning in today with Carly Blalock and Sharon Bowers and we're just continuing our our weekly discussions. And so we're going to talk a little bit about women and clergy. And for those of you who listen, I just happen to be an elder in full connection in the United Methodist Church, which that in and of itself could be controversial. So I don't know if that will come up on our show or not. But one of the things that we're celebrating, though, we are celebrating, uh, we have an organization that was purposed to help to include women. And so it's called the Commission on the Status and Role of Women, clergy, Commission on the Status and Role of Clergy Women. And I am the Chair of that in the Holston Conference, and so it it kind of helps me to bridge several of the things that are near and dear to me: feminism, uh, black feminism, womanism, clergy, all those things. It just kind of helps me to bring it together from an advocacy perspective. And we do things like we count how many women speak at an event, or like at our last conference, we're counting now, and it doesn't look good that we didn't have enough women uh, to speak. We had some, but not enough. So we we look at those kinds of things, and so Carly uh, might be a little dominant today because this is really near and dear to me, but I want you to come in at any point, ask me some questions. Maybe you have some questions that you'd like to ask that I might be able to answer. And I do have my coffee here. So listeners, if you hear slurp, it is me with afternoon coffee. And so I I encourage you to go get one also, but hi, Carly. Good to see you.
1: Hi. And we are in full support of everyone's coffee habits here on this show.
0: (laughs) Well, I just wanted to talk about women and clergy and and the challenges that we have it's it's kind of like uh, James Brown said it best in one of his songs he said it's a man's world but it wouldn't be nothing without a woman or a girl and so you know uh, religion and church and all of the the world religions all of those are predominantly looked at as men dominant and so but I, I I beg to differ that most of them without the support of women in any capacity it would not exist and so you know we're very honored I, I think, are blessed in the United Methodist Church that we've had women bishops, which is our senior leadership, for well over 50 years. And uh, as I said, now we're celebrating 50 years as having this organization, COSROS, the Committee on the Status and Role of Women in the Church. That's even been around. This is 50 years. 1972 was when it was initiated. But I will say this, Carly, that being clergy and being female has not been easy. I can
1: imagine um, as, you know, being a woman in any male-dominated you know, field would feel the same way. Right. But I feel like when you add the element of um, organized religion on top of that, that that could be a very difficult place and maybe even an unsafe feeling place for some women. It is. It's one of those things when you're seeking
0: affirmation, you know, I mean, it's, it's challenging because sometimes you just feel out of place. You feel like that's not the right place for you or not the right space for you. And because we, we look at things through an intersectional lens, if you add being a black woman, to that Mm -hmm. it it becomes you know more layered and more intersectional and it's kind of like for a lot of women who are clergy we talk about um we have a conceptualization called the call. Like when were you called into ministry, you know, to into the vocation of ministry? When were you called into it? And even the call story for women, supposedly they say everybody experiences the same call. It's about six different things that you go through. Uh, I think his name is Norman Habel who talks about the call. But but there's some additional things for women because one of the things that happens is you have to question because you are female. You have to question where men don't have to question their sexuality as part of their call to do this work. So you're, you're believing that you're called into this great work to spread the gospel, to share, to do all this. And at the same time, in the back of your mind is how could I be called? I'm a woman. Now that's changing drastically, but it's not changing drastically. I remember the first time that I said something to my mother about being in the pool pit. She said, what are you doing in a pool pit? Like, that was not a place for women. This is my own mother who knew that I had been called into ministry and was supportive of it. But I guess she thought I would do children's ministry all my life. And so she was okay with that. But when I talked about being called in the ministry, she was like blown away and, and sitting in the pulpit. She couldn't believe that. And there are some denominations that
1: do not allow women to sit in the pulpit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I found a statistic, Reverend Eileen Campbell Reed did a report in 2018. Um, and in 2018, she found that 20.7% of us professional clergy are women. Yeah. And 20.7 does not seem like enough. I would have thought it would have been more than that for sure. Now, obviously The Catholic Church is a major Christian organization and they do not allow women to be priests, so that I guess might be part of why that number is more low. I'm not sure, but I would have thought it would have been higher than that to be honest.
0: No, I think that's the oppression that people don't see in organized religion. And there are some, like I was reading the other day, I don't think it was the UCC, but there was some Protestant organization that has now reached 60% women. Uh, I think the same person might have reported it that you were talking about, but it, they have a whole big thing on the statistics of women. And I think it's dated back in 218, but there's, there's one organization, I can't think of it. I'll try to find it here before we get off the air. But 60% of their clergy are women, which that's mammoth. Mm-hmm. That's mammoth. That's mammoth. And and even though I was bragging about the United Methodist Church and talking about how we've had bishop, female bishops for more than, you know, 50 plus years, we still have more men clergy than we do women. And then, as I said earlier, you have some people, some places, not just in the Catholic denomination, but you have some Protestant denomination who, who will not, I think most recently Beth Moore, who uh, is part of the Southern Baptist or was part of the Southern Baptist, and she's been doing great work she's a published author she's been doing phenomenal christian work for years and most recently uh, she left the southern baptist denomination because they made some comments about women and their role and their contributions and i mean just think about what that must have felt like for the last 25 years to be doing so much more than your male colleagues but you to be seen as a teacher not as a preacher, and to be relegated and limited to that specific role. And you've got all these other people who don't aren't doing what you're doing, who aren't producing the kinds of scholarly work that you are producing, or even the kind of evangelical work that you are producing. And yet, because of their genitalia, they get
1: all the propers, you know? I think that's wild, and I think it's wild for a few reasons. But, you know, the thing that, that I always kind of think about is it's hard enough to be a woman in a male dominated field right there are a lot of things that are spoken and unspoken that are very sexist systemically sexist interpersonally sexist right however when you are talking about the clergy there are many 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 men and women because we you know we talk about you know parallel sexism right who will use God as an authority, right? To say that it is God's law that you're not supposed to be there. It is God's desire that you're not supposed to be there. It's his will that you're not supposed to be there. So how do you even begin to start deconstructing and combating that kind of ideology when, you know, they're calling on a a higher power to say, hey, you're not allowed to be here?
0: Yeah, it's, it's difficult. But even that goes back to the fact that we, we, most people, I'm an exception and some of my colleagues are exceptions, but the majority of Christian people see God as male only. Mm -hmm. So it's set up in the early stages that women are subordinate and women are inferior and women could never be. So we don't in, in, in the Christian uh, Protestant Catholic denomination, we don't talk about Christus as in Christ as woman or goddess as in God as woman. And Mm -hmm. so you, you're already in a framework that suggests from your inception in it that you are subordinate. So yeah. it's 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 a it's kind of and it's been like that forever and then as you said with parallel or horizontal sexism, you have women clergy who are leading churches who would never see God as anything other than
1: God as man. Yeah, that's got to be an incredibly tough place to be. And to do the kind of thing that you said, like you said, you're called to do this and to try and do the work that you feel so passionate about in an environment like that. It's got to be so difficult.
0: It really is. And, you know, as a woman of color, there are big gaps in salaries, big gaps in the congregations like you don't have a lot of women, regardless of their ethnicity, leading congregations with more than 100 people. The congregations that have more than 100 people generally have men. And so you might have women leading churches with 30 to 40 people, you know, and that is always brought into question. You have in East Tennessee, Southwest Virginia, you have organizations, and I'm speaking primarily about the United Methodist Church because that's what I'm a part of. But you have people who, they have these fellowships, these I forget what they call them. Sometimes they call them like, uh, ministerial associations or something. Mm-hmm. And so you might have a Baptist pastor a Presbyterian, a you know, you have all, the uh, uh, non-denomination, you have all these pastors who come together. And so they have an association, but when a woman is sent to pastor, one of those churches, they either disband or blatantly say that you are not welcome. And then some of the the parishioners of those churches are upset because they were so used to fellowshipping with all those other people. And now that they have a woman pastor, they can't do that anymore. So that becomes a major problem. So you are, you're caught in the fray and the friction is sometimes really, really, really challenging because you're really unwanted. And then you still have
1: some congregations who will say, do not send us a woman for a pastor. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that kind of ties into that unsafe, right? Because I can't imagine being assigned to a church where you question that. You don't know if you're going to walk into a hostile environment. And as a woman of color, that's got to be even more scary. We just
0: recently, uh, our sexual ethics team, we had recorded last year the things that have been said to clergy women. Mm. This year, we recorded the things that have been said to people of color. So you put both of those together and it's amazing. Like there was one black woman recently that it was said to her, she was pastoring a predominantly white, two predominantly white congregations, and they actually, one of the persons on the committee said to her, I'm just amazed that someone hasn't taken a shotgun to you by now. So when you talk about safe or unsafe, and and, and what's interesting is that they had previously had a white female pastor. So for them to say, that someone was going to take a shot she, they were surprised that someone hadn't taken a shotgun to them was saying more about her ethnicity than about her gender because the previous pastor whom i guess they loved was white and female but the fact that she was black and female merited someone taking a gun to her
1: and when you think about church and spiritual you know places of worship they're supposed to be sanctuaries they're supposed to be safe spaces for people and you know how safe is that
0: Right. And many of the the numerics, if you you did demographics, the majority of people in the churches are women. They are not men. Men don't go to church, quote unquote. I know that. I know you all are saying, I go to church. I'm just using a generalization. But the majority of
1: the membership in the church are female. Right. In fact, I was going to say that. So I was raised Catholic. And as we just talked about, you know, all priests are men. However, when I think about youth group leaders, when I think about the women running the church, the women like making the decisions being the treasurers in positions of leadership they're all women and you know they were the ones running the church organizations and making sure everything moved and flowed and you know they were the ones gathering for community and to think that those women are denied a place to you know step into the pulpit or step onto the stage like that's very interesting that they are the ones kind of keeping these churches running and yet they're not given any power, right?
0: And, and I think that's the same struggle that we have. You talked earlier about, and we'll talk about it in another show, but about colonialization and how it, its role in this oppression kind of piece with the LGBTQ plus community, but also with the people of color, also with women. You know, there are gatekeepers and those gatekeepers who are traditionally white and male do not want to move over and allow additions that are other than them. And, and that's a generalization. You have some people who are welcoming and affirming, but in in general that just simply does not happen, and salaries are inequitable. We keep seeing men serving at large churches in in my conference, in the Holston Conference. This year, for the first time, we have several women at some of the elite churches that are that are now doing. But we often laugh and say, "Now that the church is in trouble, <laughs> now that the tr- church is experiencing, we are." For those of you who do not know, the United Methodist Church is currently uh, having a difficulty. We're having we're talking about disaffiliation. And that disaffiliation is because of the inclusion of the LGBTQ plus community. So our church, the United Methodist church is willing to split yet again. They split of oh, slavery, uh, enslavement back in the day, but they're willing to split again at, so that they do not have to quote unquote include members are my brothers and sisters of the LGBTQ plus community in leadership roles. We're willing to say that's enough. So we have massive churches who are taking their building and they are leaving. And they allege that they are leaving because of the LGBTQ plus community. And and they are. But this is not the first time the United Methodist as a denomination has disagreed. That's why if you go somewhere and you have a first and a second church, this was over slavery you know, first and second United Methodist Church in the same town, one was pro-slavery, the other was was against, you know, so it's kind of like, here we are about to have the same thing with the LGBTQ plus community. And as you said earlier, Carly, how do you do that all in the name of
1: a welcoming, safe, affirming place for all? Yes. Absolutely. And, you know, there are gay clergy who are out and proud, which is incredible, but there are a lot of gay Christians um, who are looking for churches that will accept them and affirm them. And it just adds a whole other layer, like you said, to that piece of, you know, If we're saying that church is a place that welcomes everyone, if we're saying that this is a safe place, that this is a place of sanctuary, it has to be that for everyone.
0: Yeah. And you look at who is the they that's saying this. The same they said that women were not welcome. The same they said that blacks were not welcome. It's the same they that's saying that the uh, LGBTQ+, (laughs) that they're unwelcome. It's the same they. Mm -hmm. I guess I just get excited when I, when I think about that, it's not any different and they is the dominant group and the dominant group are white and male or white and female or black and male. And then when you get past that, everyone else is experiencing major oppression and um, in some form or another. And so, uh, you know, to exclude them and, 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 and I think being clergy and being female, even the pandemic had a different effect on female clergy than it did on other people. We know in our jobs, women were working and how difficult, you know, that was for women. The the brunt of the pandemic fell on us as women, but women pastors, it's even worse because they have to consider, you know, running these churches, like I said, that have less than a hundred people. But when you're a pastor and you're a woman, you end up doing mothering. If you're not careful, you end up your your natural quote-unquote instincts and your socialized way of being works against you instead of for you
1: yes absolutely and i think we did a lot of talking i think during women's history month about leadership and authority right so like when you think of an authoritarian authoritative figure who do you think of typically a man when you think of someone who experience who's a good leader right When we think of leadership qualities what kind of qualities are we looking for and how those qualities when presented as men are you know seen as good but when those qualities are presented in a woman they're seen as oh well she's cold or she's stern or she's you know not warm and inviting and so i'm sure that that is compounded when you are in a, mem- in a position of power within a church, right? People probably have very narrow expectations of what a woman clergy member is supposed to be, even if, if they're okay with their being women clergy, right? They probably are thinking, well, this person's gonna be very warm and motherly and they very well may be, but that doesn't mean that that's the only way to be a female clergy member,
0: right? And if you're not, then that's against you. The same, if you have the same leadership acumen or the leadership skills or knowledge that a man would, you will be seen as something is wrong with you because you're not fitting the stereotypical view of where, of how they think a woman should be. And it's challenging. I, I I don't know if you had saw the same report, but I think it was that report that you mentioned earlier about the state of clergy women in the United States, the woman who done it. I think she was previously Baptist. Anyway, go figure. But these were some of the stats that I wanted to share that were from, uh, this was 2018. But it says in 1960, women were 2.3% of U.S. clergy. In 2016, they were 20.7%. I think you said that earlier. You said you thought that there would be some more. Since 2015, Roman Catholic lay ministers outnumbered priests in the United States, and 80% of them are women. I
1: know. That's what I'm saying. In
0: 2017, women remain fewer than 25% of the seminary faculty and deans and just 11% of the presidents. In most mainline denominations, the percentage of clergy women has doubled or tripled since 1994. The Unitarian Universalists and the United Church of Christ clergy women have reached numerical equity with clergymen. That's the one I was telling you about that I think might be at 60% mm-hmm. by now. And then more women of color and few white women are going to seminary to earn Masters of Divinity since 2008. And that's just a few of the little information that, that we're finding. But the big part of all of that is still the exclusion that comes with being female and being clergy. And my saddest time is when women reject me. That's Mm -hmm. that's sad, 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 most sad, more sad. Anyway, that's the worst thing for me is to have women because you expect that women who have been oppressed would know what that feels like and would not want to further oppress or victimize females who are clergy, but it doesn't happen that way. That horizontal sexism is amazingly, it's piercing. It is, it is so difficult. Just the other day, my mother was in the hospital and there was a, a young man there. I say young man, I think he's in his, he's almost 60, so not how young is young, but he was there and he was talking about my mother's pastor and he called her Ms. And, and I just flew into him. I was not very kind or not very nice because you know, I said, you attend a Baptist church, I would never hear you call your Baptist pastor Mr. Anything. You're going to always call him Reverend. And as a matter of fact, my mother's pastor has more credentials to be called Reverend than your pastor does. My mother's pastor is a seminarian with all the rights and privileges that go with that and has been endorsed by her congregation. And your pastor does not have those same qualifications. So if you're around me, you need to call her Reverend the same way you call your pastor Reverend, and boy, he he looked at me like, what happened to her? You know, did she get up on the wrong side of the bed or what? But it's just you still hear those kinds of things. I mean, that was the other day. That was Monday. Yeah, it's not like that was four years ago or forty years ago. That was Monday. That people oh. are still seeing clergy women and calling them Miss and thinking that they're doing them a
1: favor by calling them miss. No, I completely agree with that. And I'm very glad that you put him in his place because he needed that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's the same thing that doctor, professor, you know, all of those things come right back down to that. But especially with Reverend, you know, and like you said, she has earned that title. So yeah. give her the respect of referring to her with her title, please. Yeah,
0: but did did not and, and would not. Although I did get a text from him later giving me a status of my mom. And he said, Reverend blank came by. So, yeah. So I think that, you know, (laughs) even though I had a Tyree and I lost it for just a few moments, but I think that's what happens. And some people say, well, I wouldn't worry about that. Well, when you don't worry about it, then you are complicit and you allow it to continue to go on and on. And I do not, I'm not one that wants to live by titles, but I think when it's
1: earned, it's due. And especially if you're disseminating it based on gender. Oh yeah, no. I mean, I agree with you. I think there's a maybe a broader conversation to be had about titles and, and things like that in general. However, you know, the men always get the titles and the women don't. So until it's until we're up playing on an equal playing field, maybe that conversation can wait.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it happens. It happens all the time, and and it doesn't. I guess for me, you know, having been to seminary. Having gotten the appropriate degree, having a great big student loan, <laughs> and all those things that go with it, and then I see what what I would refer to affectionately as a jackleg preacher—somebody who comes in, does a trial sermon, gets up, and now from that time on they are called reverend, and they probably haven't even read the Bible in its entirety. But from the time that they make their trial sermon or they preach or whatever, from then on, everybody refers to that person as reverend. You have a female who's gone through all of the qualifications and you have to fight to be acknowledged. And they think they're doing you a favor when they do something by calling you Ms. So I just think that it, it's just uh, it's challenging. And it's and as I was saying earlier, the pandemic has made it worse because you're, you already have a stressful life as a clergy woman. And then you add pandemic on top of that. I read an article not too long ago. I forget what the stats were, but it seems like it was two in six or something that reported that every day they had thought about quitting. So it's challenging. And, and then yeah, see my brothers and my sisters who are part of the LGBTQ plus community who are hiding. They're in hiding because they're afraid that if they come out, especially in our denomination, if they were to come out, they would lose their credentials they would have to submit all that they work for and all that they've done just by acknowledging who they are. So there are layers, if you will, in being a woman and being clergy. And 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 I know we're just we're just getting it. We just left Pride Month last uh, last month and uh, and just recently. I mean, this is all documented information. So we just had a young man who been to seminary and is ready to start the process and had to leave the Holston Conference. To go to another conference, the Mountain Sky Conference, which is the only one that has a, uh, a lesbian, uh, out oh, yeah. lesbian bishop. And so I- in order for him to fulfill his calling, he had to leave Tennessee and go to Colorado. I mean, yeah. and upset his world just to do that. Now, some people who know the Bible would say, well, Abraham got up and went to a place that he knew not of and God blessed him and all that. Yeah, but Abraham didn't have to get up and go do that because... Of his human sexuality, Abraham yeah. did that because he was called to do that. And this this person wanted to serve here, and according to our current Book of Discipline, could not serve here, so left, uprooted, left family, friends, everyone, and went to that place in order to answer the call. That that thing that we talk about so much in in religion, and the thing that is so difficult for women because women are trying to answer their call with being mothers, caretakers of their parents. You know, all of those kinds of things, they are trying to do that. And women don't often have, women clergy don't often have the same kind of support that is expected or is given of men clergy. Mm -hmm. Like when men come and they have a wife, the expectation is that wife will be the role of support. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: When women are clergy, and this is not all true all the time, but when women are clergy, men are not expected to be the same kind of support they're expected to still go off and have their career and do whatever they do. So this woman is trying to run this congregation without the same support had she been male that she would have had from her partner. And the expectations in the church community are not the same either. So I I think the struggle is real, Carly. We're we're trying to figure out how best to do that and what's gonna change the tide for those statistics. I'm not real sure what's gonna do that. But I, I do know that if women come together And if women stand together, there are some things we could start doing that would help tremendously. I tell male pastors all the time, just like I tell white male pastors all the time, go ahead and pave the way for who might come after you. So start if you believe it. You can't do what you don't believe, but you should believe it if you're who you say you are. But start promoting inclusivity. Start promoting that. You know, you're in a, especially white males in in a a place of privilege, they can start to do that. How can they do that? By bringing in the other to the church, by celebrating, by what they say out of their mouth, by having small groups, by talking, by sharing. And, you know, the United Methodist Church right now, we're at a crossroads. We're Mm -hmm. at a crossroads because we have people that are large number of people that are leaving and they say that they are leaving because of the LGBTQ. B T Q plus issue, but I believe they're leaving because of their long standed quest for privilege. And and it's been it's been interrupted by a black man, it's been it or a Latinx man, it's been interrupted or a Asian man, it's been interrupted by a Asian black or Latinx female. And so I think they're just trying to create places and spaces
1: that once again will allow, you know, hierarchical leadership. Well, We're getting close to the end of our time. But what I wanted to do before we jump off, shout out to Reverend Bowers, who will very soon be Dr. Reverend Bowers or Reverend Dr. Bowers. I'm not sure which one comes first, but (laughs) Uh, Reverend (laughs) Dr. Reverend Dr. Bowers. And um, so we're very excited and happy for you for that. Thank you. But you've done an incredible amount of scholarship around Black feminist, womanist, but also religious uh, scholarship. So is there anything that you would recommend our listeners read if they're interested in learning more about this work, more about this sort of scholarship?
0: Well, I'd like to tell them, wait and read my dissertation. But I, I just think that, you know, we live in an information technology world where you could Google at any at any point. And I really do believe that spirituality is critical. And part of my dissertation is is a concept that, that I'm calling sacred spiritual resistance. And it's a new concept, and we can talk about it in another day. But I really do believe that that those people who are part of the church need to start looking at, you know, in the United Methodist Church, we have a baptismal covenant where, you know, we just say that we're going to um, resist oppression in any form that it comes. And so I think for all people to just start doing that, if you stumble up, if you're in a church or you're somewhere and you stum- start stumbling up or into oppression that you start the process of resisting it in whatever form it comes in. So if it's human sexuality, if it's race and ethnicity, you know, if it's classism, whatever it is, when you start running into that, there's the point right there for you to start to try to dismantle and deconstruct it. So um, I don't have any, any uh, things scholarly just to add, uh, except I, I do believe that sacred spiritual resistance is going to be, it's a nascent concept, but I do believe that it is not just because it's my concept, but I believe it's the part that's missing that allows us to do that agitation, that allows us to create agency for all people, that allows us to be advocates, and ultimately gets us to where we can do activism. And and the church has forgotten. There's a prophetic word in the church. There's a prophetic word that clergy women are preaching and teaching, and that really is about freedom for all. But but it, it really it really is important. And I think that, you know, including women and, and starting to use different language, you know, finding other, if you can't call God she, or if you can't say Christ as a Christus, then you can start to use gender inclusive language, like Holy One, mm-hmm. creator of all. I mean, there are all kinds of words that you can use that would be beneficial to women and other people in the future. So just start with inclusive language. There's just, there's all kinds of things, you know, rather than, than just a book, there's all kinds of things that we could be doing.
1: Well, this conversation was incredible, and I'm hoping that we can do some follow-ups to this going forward. And we would also love to have some women clergy that you know, that are your friends to come on and talk about their experiences. Um, I know that you mentioned uh, several groups that you're a part of. So maybe having some members of those groups join us as well in the future. So thank you for sharing that experience with us. I'd love to do that.
0: I thought about that today and I thought I should just call all my colleagues and say, hey, can y'all come? And let's just have a conversation because everything that I say and everything I do is a fight for freedom
1: for all and a fight for justice for all. So next week, we are going to talk a little bit about what we're sort of calling Black, White, and New Feminism. Um, So talking a little bit about what, what we mean when we say white feminism versus what we mean when we say Black feminism, and then sort of where we kind of think feminism is going forward. So please join us next week for that conversation. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day. Bye everybody, see you next week.